Good morning. I had uh, someone share with me this morning, they were wondering if I also had resigned. They hadn't seen me around for a little while. Um, I have not resigned. And I was traveling for a little while. Um, I had the opportunity to visit missionaries of ours, uh, as I often do, um, in Russia, in Krasnyarsk, Russia. And then we had a team uh, helping out in Krakow, Poland, and so hung out with them for a little while in Krakow and then came home. So been in and out a little bit, um, but it's good to be uh, here uh, this morning. Um, also want to thank many of you. Um, maybe some of you weren't here last week, uh, but I shared some news that one of our basketball players on our basketball team that has been with us for about four years on our basketball team was shot and killed. Um, last Saturday night. And I just wanted to thank you guys for your prayers, um, uh, for us as the team, the ministry, and, and, and his family. We had a really nice uh, time. We got invited by the school to the Austin High School there. They had a real nice uh, memorial service there um, on Friday afternoon. It was really cool that they were uh, invited us to, to come there. And so we were able to do that. Um, and then we're hoping um, this coming Saturday to uh, potentially have the funeral here. Um, so if we do, if we're able to do that, uh, we'll let you guys know more details if you're able to come. Oh, uh, that would be great. But I just want to genuinely say thank you for your prayers. I mean, we've had just great conversations with guys. It's been very up and down in a lot of ways, as you'd imagine. Um, but again, thank you for that. And, um, and also, as you heard this morning, uh, Pastor Josh is in here uh, because his mother passed away. Uh, this morning. So just, yeah, a lot, a, lot going, a lot going on, and our hearts are heavy, um, but thankful to be here together, um, worshiping together, and um, an opportunity to look at God's Word. So um, let's pray as we get into God's Word this morning. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we bring ourselves to you and in that we are bringing but dust. But it is with this dust that you have breathed life. And so we thank you for the life-giving nature of your spirit that helps us even when we don't even know what to pray with groanings that words can't express. So thank you, Spirit, for speaking even now on our behalf to the Father. Father, thank you for your desire to give us your Son as a gift that we may have life in him. And so we pray that as we look at his stories that he shared and his life, that we will be refreshed in our passion to know and follow him. So we thank you for this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, uh, you remember that Pastor Gerald uh, preached on Matthew chapter 13. We're on uh, Matthew chapter 14 this morning. But one of the things that Pastor Gerald did uniquely last week that I kind of want to um, build off and do some other things as we look into chapter 14 is um, he didn't actually focus on the details, as he said, uh, intentionally, on the parable of the sower, but on Christ's explanation of why he even used parables at all in the first place. So if you remember that from last week, uh, chapter 13, Pastor Gerald preached on 
Jesus' explanation of why he used parables. One of the things that uh, Pastor Gerald said last week that I thought was super helpful, um, he said, Jesus wasn't sent by God to preach the secrets of the kingdom of God to the world. You might think, what? What? Jesus was sent by God to prepare his disciples to preach the secrets of the kingdom of God to the world. And so what I think gets us to this week is it is our calling and our responsibility to then understand these parables because that we are his disciples. We are the ones called to understand and to share. And what I think is really interesting as I was looking at chapter 14 this past week is I think if we look at the stories of chapter 14, it's basically the lived out version of the parable of the sower. And so what I'd like to do is, since we actually didn't even go through the details of the parable of the sower last week, I'd like to rehearse that, the details of the parable of the sower. And I think that will give us a lens through which to read the stories that we read this morning in chapter 14. We left the beginning part of chapter 14 out intentionally. Uh, all our children don't need to know all the details of John the Baptist's death. Uh, but children, it's great to have you with us this morning. Really enjoy having them in here. So as we look now uh, into Matthew 13 first, the parable, I want to make one caveat first. Let's remember that Jesus titled this parable as ultimately about the sower. The title is the parable of the sower. But a lot of times we get so fixated on what kind of soil or what kind of ground we are and completely lose sight that the parable is about the sower. I want to keep that in mind as we go through as we look at the parable of the sower then, as an interpretive lens for chapter 14, let's not forget that the parable is about the sower. As we look at the parable of the sower and the stories of chapter 14, it ought to bring us to speak the same words as Peter as he was sinking in the sea saying, Lord, save us. So the, so the parable of the sower, if you want, you can flip back to chapter 13. Let's go over the details of the parable of the sower. So we know that there is a sower that went out to sow seeds. That's obvious. As he went out to sow seeds, their seeds came across four different types of ground, right? We can't say four different types of soil because the first one didn't fall to any soil. But four types of ground that the seed that the sower sowed came upon. The first type of ground is the path. So it says that there was some seed that didn't even make it to the soil itself, but the seed went along the path. The second type of ground is the rocky ground. Uh, these seeds that fall that the sower sowed, these seeds fall on rocky ground where there was not much soil. Some soil, but not much. The third type of ground is the thorns. This is the seeds go down to the ground and there's actually soil, maybe good soil. Uh, but the problem with this soil is that there are so many thorns that it overwhelms. The fourth type of ground is good soil. So the seeds that fell in the fourth type was just good, rich 
nutritious soil. The question is then, how did it go for the seeds? The seeds went into these different types of ground. How did it go for those seeds? Was there any produce? Well, Jesus gives us an explanation here in the parable, and we know that the first type of ground being the path, right? That seed fell along the path, never made it to the soil, and so there was no plant or produce at all. It never even made it to the soil. The rocky ground, we know, does make it into some soil there, but the roots didn't go deep because the soil wasn't rich. And so the plant, the seed that went on the rocky ground, it grew fast because there was some soil, but because it wasn't rich in deep soil, the roots never grew deep, and the sun scorched it. The plant, the produce died. The third type, the thorns, how did the seed do among the thorns? Well, the seed, the plant we know did grow. We don't know how much or to what extent, but we knew that the plant grew, but it grew among thorns and the thorns overtook the plant. So this, once again, still no long-term fruit. The last ground, seed falls on good soil and these seeds grew healthy plants. Lots of produce, lots of grain, lots of crop, lots of fruit. So the seed only does well in the last type of ground. The first type, birds come and devour the seeds because they don't even find any soil. The second kind, the rocky ground, there's some soil there, but it's not very good. Plant comes and goes fast. The thorns take over the third one. The last one, finally, we see good soil. So now you may be thinking, all right, where are we? Are we in a church talking about Jesus? Are we talking, you know, agricultural class right now? Um, Jesus, then, we have to ask ourselves is, why is Jesus saying this? Which is nice. Not a lot of parables Jesus really gives us explanation, especially the detailed explanation that he gives us here. Jesus is saying this for a reason. He's trying to make an analogy. And so Jesus says, then when you go to verse 18 and chapter 13, gives us the meaning. So he says, what is it like when the seed that goes out and goes along the path doesn't ever make it to the soil? What is that like? Well, Jesus says it's like this. It's like someone who hears the word of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom of God, and does not understand it, never takes root in their heart. And so it never takes root, and the evil one comes and snatches it away, takes the word away. This person never really is able to understand and come to terms with the life-giving hope that comes to Jesus. He hears but does not understand. That's what it's like, the path the seed that goes along the path and gets devoured by the birds. It's like someone hearing the word of the gospel of the kingdom. But Satan comes and takes it away, never takes root. They don't understand. What's the second ground like? The rocky ground. If you remember the rocky ground, it had some soil and so grew fast, but the sun scorched it out because it did not have deep roots because of no good soil. Jesus says, what, 
what's that like? Well, that's like this. Once again, they hear the words of the gospel of the kingdom. So what's going to be interesting is with each type of ground, the analogy is everyone hears the words of the gospel of the kingdom. The rocky ground is like someone who hears the words of the gospel of the kingdom, receives it with joy, yet the roots never go deep because there's not good soil, and so falls away when tribulation, affliction, and trials come, and the sun scorches the plant. I think sometimes we really actually oftentimes make great stories of someone who has a radical conversion, radical change of life when Christ comes to their life, and we make that out to be that's the way it should be. When that happens, that's great, but according to this, we have to maybe sometimes wonder. When someone just shows, like comes to Christ and just shows a ton of energy, we're usually like want to put them up on the pedestal like this is what a real Christian looks like. But what's interesting, there's, there's some hesitation here with Jesus. According to his analogy, did it really take root in their lives? I don't know. They say, they believe, but maybe not. Something else happens for this type of person that reveals the roots never took. The third type, what's the third type like? Where a seed falls and, uh, on the soil, the plant grows, but the thorns overtake the plant. What's that like? Jesus says, well, it's like this. Once again, someone hears the word of the gospel of the kingdom, but the cares of the world, the thorns, the deceitfulness of riches choke the plant and it becomes unfruitful. We'll come back to this in a little bit, but the deceitfulness of riches. Notice that the point isn't riches. That would be easy. It would be easy if we could just say riches in and of themselves are the problem because then we could all just pursue lives of poverty and know for sure that we're going to enter the kingdom of God, right? And that we're good soil. I mean, that would be easy. The problem is it's deceitfulness of riches. It's that riches deceive. And so right now, potentially you're imagining in your head someone that's probably in some economic strata just above you or a couple above you, and that's the rich person. And that would only be evidence that the riches have deceived you. That is the challenge, is that riches are deceitful. Thorns coming up. The cares of the world entangle from real, true, deep root coming out to produce fruit. The last is the good soil. The good soil hears the gospel of the kingdom of God, hears that the one true living creator God has come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and provided hope and restoration to a broken world, providing new life, forgiveness of sins. Hears that and receives it, and the life that flows from that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits 
of the Spirit. So that's why Jesus gives us this parable, this story, this analogy, and explains what those types of ground are like. Now what I would like to do, though, is not just look at the sower, the parable of the sower. What I'd like to do now as we transition into chapter 14 is with this information that we have, this lens of looking at the parable of the sower, use that as a way to understand the people taking place in the narratives of chapter 14. Does that make sense? The types of people that we come across in chapter 14 illustrate and flesh the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. If we look at the types of people, they can kind of fall in three different categories in Matthew chapter 14. One is rejection. You have John uh, being rejected and you have Jesus being rejected, both signifying the rejection of the kingdom of God. Then you have the disciples constantly going in and out of frustration and doubt and fear. And then you have at the very end, Gennesaret story, being made well. So rejection, frustration and doubt, and being made well. The three categories of people we see in the stories of chapter 14. First of all, looking at the rejection, we, again, as I said, we didn't read through the beginning of the death of John the Baptist, but you have, even before that, looking at the end of 13, Jesus being rejected in his own hometown. But why? Because initially it sounds like everything's going well. It says Jesus finished par the parables. He went away from there, coming to his hometown and taught them in their synagogues. So Jesus, after teaching the parables, goes back to his hometown, goes to the synagogues, teaches in the synagogues, and they're astonished at his teaching. And they realize this is a unique teacher. He was an amazing teacher. And so it sounds like it's going well. But then if you look at the end of chapter 13, it says, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. How did we get from Nazareth, the people of Nazareth being astonished in the synagogues that Jesus is teaching to Jesus then, Matthew recording that Jesus didn't do any works of miracles there because of their unbelief? What happened in the middle? I think this is what you see potentially, is that the seed never even took root. It just falls along the path. When you see them reject Jesus, what were they rejecting? What was it about Jesus that they were rejecting? Well, we see in the text, they didn't like Jesus' family of origin, which is ironic, right? Because that's where they're from. <laughs> they did not like Jesus' family of origin. I mean, Mary, words still out on Mary, right? Like, unless you want to believe the Holy Spirit thing, like, words still out on Mary, how she got pregnant. And then his father is a carpenter, which carpenters in all communities are valued, right? Whether in a modern or an ancient community, they build societies. They're incredibly valued. But for building... We're not looking for our king to come from a builder. Like, it's okay if Jesus is the son of a carpenter and he also becomes a carpenter. That's fine. But that's no path to kingship. 
the way of the son of a carpenter. And we know his brothers, his mother, his father. Jesus, he was from Nazareth. And what does it say? And they took offense at him. They transitioned so quick. Once they realized, what is it they're realizing? What is actually the secret of the kingdom of the gospel of God? It's the pathway of humility. What they were rejecting is precisely the point that the eternal son of God came among humble beginnings, not just because he had to show us how humble he was. It wasn't as if Jesus thought, I want to show, like, I'm God, so I'm the best at everything, so I'm going to be the best humble person. So I'll go and have a really humble start. No, his humility is giving us a window into the nature of God. And that's precisely why the people of Nazareth wanted nothing to do with the carpenter's son being their king. They knew all too well. They knew all too well where Jesus was from. And that was not good enough to be their king. And it's ironic because I said they come from those humble beginnings. And they know precisely who Jesus is and where he comes from. And they're not looking for more of the same. We are not looking for Nazareth. We want Jerusalem to save us. They knew Jesus' humble beginnings. And that's why they rejected him. It was like the seed got planted and it never even fell on soil. It just went right on the path. They actually got it and they rejected for the right reasons. They didn't want that humble king. The second rejection we see is in the story of the family of Herod. Herod was so consumed, so consumed with all sorts of problems in his life. He was, it was as if the seed, when it went out, never even fell on soil for Herod, but just went on the path and made a mess of his own life. Never understood. The second we see is not only the rejection of Jesus and John the Baptist, which is, as a whole is a rejection of the gospel of the kingdom. The second one we see is, I think, representative of the situation of the thorns, the disciples. The disciples, I think, represent the thorns. We have here the disciples being talked about in two stories, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. And just to rehearse the context of the feeding of the 5,000, as uh, Chris said for us before he read scripture, that Jesus was very much cared about John the Baptist. So when he heard about the death of John the Baptist, he was grieving and in pain. And Jesus, after teaching the parables, wants to just have some time alone to grieve the death of a friend. And so he goes he goes away to find some place to be by himself only to take notice that all the people are just following him right along. Now imagine being in a place where you just lost a dear friend and just want a little bit of space, right? And like none of us couldn't be sympathetic to that, right? Like we all get that. Like just needing some space sometimes 
when you're dealing with tragedy and grieving. The disciples got it. As we look at this, you need to imagine yourself as a disciple. We are all firmly fixed as disciples in these stories. So the crowds followed Jesus. And what does it say Jesus had? We see the sower being revealed in this narrative. The sower saw the great crowd and the sower had compassion. The disciples are frustrated, right? And as would we. If we were with Jesus following him that day and he had been listening to him say parables all day and then try to get away just for a little bit at this horrible news of John the Baptist and then all these crowds just have no sympathy for Jesus, could care less about Jesus, right, and his needs and we're going to kind of stand in his place, maybe. I think sometimes we tell the disciples as if they're like looking out for Jesus. I don't know that that's the case. They were frustrated. Jesus clearly was not in his right mind. We are in a desolate place. There is no food. It is getting dark. Please send them back to the towns and their homes to get food. This is crazy, Jesus. I mean, seriously, you've been with them all day. You do not need to give more. And it says Jesus had compassion. And said, after the disciples said they need to go, Jesus says, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat, would you please? And the heart of the sower that is so sensitive at this moment to the crowds that are following him, I think sometimes we get ourselves into these complex situations where we're opening our hearts up to challenging relationships and God forbid that becomes hard on us. And if we show people around us that we're not doing well, we, all they do is tell us to get out of it, right? Like it's not okay for most of us if we get into relationships and we're not doing well because we all have to be well. Jesus was not doing well. He was struggling. He was overextending himself. And the disciples were saying exactly what we would have said and we do say to people all around us, disconnect, check out, get away, get to, get, have some space. And Jesus leans right into it and has compassion and says, bring them to me. It is sometimes, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that sometimes it's okay to not be okay. But the disciples are overcome with the cares of the world. They're overcome with fatigue. They just want to let them go. But Jesus says, bring them near. Bring them to me. And what does he do? He empowers them. He empowers them. You go get your loaves. You go get your fish. And I will make much of it. And they served and they went full and had plenty left over. Jesus empowers them. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't actually even get, in this text, he gets angry with them in other ways. But here, he doesn't even get angry with them. He empowers them. 
We also see the next story of Jesus walk, walking on the water, which I think with Peter, again, we can absolutely resonate when we think in terms of like when you're in the middle of the night on a boat where the sea is choppy and you see a figure walking towards you, like that's not normal, right? Matthew is actually going out of his way to try to clarify that he's talking about supernatural realities. There is really no way, and commentators can try to do it at times, depending on their allegiances, to just say, like, well, how could this actually make sense? Because we know people don't walk on water. We know people don't walk on water. People also don't come back from the dead. I know that five loaves and two fish don't turn and feed a multitude. I think, actually, rhetorically, Matthew is making the point. They thought it was a ghost. And they're afraid. A couple times I tried to imagine what I would do. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. But I'd be afraid. My wife didn't hear that. I wouldn't be afraid, honey. But Jesus speaks out and says immediately, take heart. He says, it is I, which I think linguistically, when he says, it is I, I think what he's actually saying is, I am. When the burning bush for Moses isn't burning after all, and God reveals himself. Moses begs God to reveal himself. And he says, I am who I am. And Jesus, as the disciples are fearful in the boat, walking on water, says, I am. Do not be afraid. And yet, Peter, I've read so much about, and I've heard so much about, where should we emulate Peter? And where was he like actually showing faith? And where was he not showing faith? That's totally not the point. The point is not Peter. This isn't the parable of Peter. This isn't the story of Peter. This is the parable of the sower. This is about what the sower is going to do. If we think we could kind of nuance Peter's faith reactions, when we're live time in that moment, we're crazy. It doesn't matter if we would have gotten out or not. That is irrelevant. The point is, Peter did get out of the boat. He did walk on water. He was starting to sink as he started to fear. And Jesus comes in and rescues him in his fear. He saves his life in the midst of fear. Peter says, Lord, save me. I don't know all of what Peter did right or wrong. I know the one thing I know confidently he did right. And he said, Lord, save me. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? But he works with him right where he's at. He knows that Peter doesn't have all the faith needed, but he works with him right where he's at. And what is Peter's response? Truly, you are of God. You are the son of God. And we see these thorns that constantly are coming upon the disciples in moments of struggle and doubt and fear, trying to strangle out the plant that's growing. Lastly, we see at the end of chapter 14, it's a beautiful, very simply written 
part of the story where Jesus goes to Gennesaret and heals. Now remember, why could Jesus not heal in Nazareth and do works of miracles? Because there was no faith. There was unbelief. And so he said, since there was unbelief, he did not go and work miracles there and left Nazareth. And I think if you put these stories together as a beginning and an end, what I think Jesus is, what I think, excuse me, Matthew is saying here and what Jesus is doing is that there was just simple, simple, good soil faith here. And so Jesus healed all over the place in Gennesaret. The people of Gennesaret believed, just wanted to touch his garment. And there was good soil there. And man, did Jesus harvest. As we close, I just want to talk about a few implications of the parable of the sower and as we see that lived out in the people's lives of chapter 14. Just a few implications. One is reiterating Jesus titles the parable, the parable of the sower. This is not the parable of the soil. This is not the parable of the seed. This is the parable of the sower. This is a story about the mercy of Jesus. The message of the parable of the sower is not identify with Peter and be better. Be better than Peter was. Try to see if you can walk on longer than, longer than he could. The message is not just be better. The message is Christ is sowing. The message is not you should be able to walk on water or for that matter, even move mountains. The message is cry out for Jesus to save you. Receive the word of the gospel of the kingdom today. Your response to hearing is not inconsequential. It matters. If you hear today and you have never, ever put your faith in Christ to make you new and meet you in all of your brokenness, please do that today. Come to Christ. Another implication. Riches are deceitful. Riches are deceitful. Many of us oftentimes, when we think of who is the rich, as I said earlier, we'll think of, well, who's just a little guy, a little bit more money than me? That's probably who it's in reference to, right? Who is, who are the rich? Well, think of it in terms of how Jesus describes the Beatitudes. Is this the type of people we are being and looking to be around? Those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they're the ones that will be comforted. The meek, they're the ones that will inherit the earth. Poor in spirit, mourning, People that are meek are not the social elites of the world that help us feel confident in our social worlds and help us accomplish things we want to accomplish. 
This is not the type of people that we think, oh, I want to be around the type of people that are poor in spirit, that mourn. Mourning is not a beautiful picture in the ancient world. Or the meek, or those who pursue righteousness, hunger for it, or those who are merciful or the peacemakers. Those are not the influential people of the world. But, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by who God is using in this world to build his kingdom. All of us are prone as we just think, none of us, we can imagine kind of, okay, I got to follow Christ as long as I can main, minimally maintain my level of living that I have right now. Like as long as my standard of living would never have to go lower than what it is now, okay, sure, I can do that. Be careful. Riches are deceitful. And it's not only the deceitfulness of riches for individuals as all of us, it's riches are deceitful for us as a community. I've never once had a meeting here with someone and walked them into this sanctuary and they didn't go, wow. Like, wow. And everything our eyes absorb right now could be so deceiving to us as if we have the spirit. Look at our stained glass windows. Look at our beautiful wood pews. It can deceive us so bad. Don't let riches deceive. Lastly, following Jesus will mean opening your heart to hurt. Following Jesus will mean opening your heart to hurt. Jesus' love was not safe. It was not predictable. It may, I don't even know, maybe it was well thought out. I don't know. It didn't have some kind of philosophy or white paper that was written to describe it. It was what it was, and it was there, and it was present, and it was raw. Following Jesus will mean opening your heart up to hurt. I don't know what all of you go through. Some of you may be having deep struggles even this morning with whatever it may be. The point of this entire parable is not put your life back together. The point of the parable is that the sower is so extravagant with his love that he doesn't even care if some of the seed goes to the path and birds devour it up. If you're a farmer, you're not super interested in just letting seed kind of go wherever it may. The point of the parable is that the extravagant love of the sower is willing and is throwing seed everywhere and inviting us on a journey and a path with him that will oftentimes look complex and clunky and painful and broken. But for them, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They will receive mercy. They are the children of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive us for underestimating your love. Forgive us for not being willing to extend the mercy we have received. Forgive us for not believing. Father, I confess with all of us collectively here that the thorns grow so fast. The thorns grow so fast. And so we ask you, as we are sinking in water, maybe even in this moment, people are feeling like they're sinking even now. And as we're doubting, and as we want to walk away from the crowds to feed them, would you open our hearts as we come to you and cry, Lord, save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.